open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The Tab Highway races introduced in 2015 have been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales and country participants. Every bit as popular are the Midways, introduced as recently as July 2021 and already a primary focus of the smaller metropolitan and provincial stables. How fitting it was that the very first Midway winner, our Bellagio Miss, was trained by Greg Hickman, who'd been a very enthusiastic advocate of the concept. Even the inaugural Four Pillars run on October 30th last year was run under midway conditions and won impressively by the Tracy Bartley train Kiss Sum. The midways have been a natural progression from the highly popular highways, which have been a regular feature on Saturday Metropolitan programs for six years. The highways have created tremendous interest with country owners who are constantly on the lookout for the right horse. Bush trainers have something to aim for with progressive horses and the punters find the tab highways great betting mediums. The highways and the midways, now worth $100,000, are a major part of the new look of New South Wales racing. Bob Peters was gobsmacked when he got a phone call from an Eastern States journalist a few years ago to advise that his name had found its way onto the TRC Global Owners Rankings based on Group 1, Group 2 and Group 3 wins. It was some time after he put down the phone that the true impact of that call hit home. For 40 years, the former car dealer had been breeding, raising and racing horses, doing everything with meticulous professionalism and sparing no expense. He'd been dominating WA racing for many years without sparing a thought for the impact he was having worldwide. Suddenly, the figures were there for all to see. As of January the 2nd, Australia's Peters Investments was in fourth place on the rankings behind Godolphin, Coolmore and Shadwell, following recent wins in the Winterbottom Stakes with Graceful Girl, the Railway Stakes with Western Empire, the Kingston Town with Regal Power and the Perth Cup with Midnight Blue. Given that he's breeding from established families and using blue blood stallions, Given that the resultant foals receive the ultimate nutrition, handling and education until it's time to go to the breakers, given that those horses with the required talent are placed in the best hands, Bob Peters might be holding his place among the world's top producers of elite level horses for a long time to come. I'm delighted to welcome Bob Peters to a podcast on a Sunday morning. Bob, appreciate your time very much. Thank you, John, and uh, thanks for those kind words. We've touched on some wonderful recent highlights, but like most racing men, you've also had some devastating lows. Western Empire had some war wounds after his second regal power in the Kingston town, and he's out indefinitely. Two problems, Bob. Yes, but um, he'll get over them. One was uh, back and the muscles, and we've manipulated them well, and he's coming good with that. And there was a small chip in a, uh, a hind joint, which we've removed, and um, he's, he'll be okay, I hope, for the spring. <clears throat> the wraps on Western Empire have been filtering through to the east for many months now. Is he potentially one of the best you've had? Oh, I think he's... He's got to live up to that. He's got a long way to go before we could say that. I think with, mm-hmm. you know, the best that I've had would be um, uh, old comrade and Arcadia Queen. 
of course. Superstorm had begun his autumn preparation for Danny O'Brien in Melbourne when a lash, a fractured splint bone. No fracture is good, Bob. How severe is it? Oh, well, it's it's a real one and uh, he'll be three months rehabilitation with that and um, you know, hopefully he gets over it and um, we can have him back hopefully for the spring as well. <clears throat> He's run second in an all-star mile and he won a group one at Flemington. He's a very nice horse. Yes, he's been a nice horse for us and um, he's had a real trouble-free uh, time since we spent, sent him back to Melbourne and uh, just unfortunate that this has happened. Mm. The dreaded phone call came through, did it, from Danny O'Brien? <laughs> oh, yes, well, those, you know, we used to that. About 10 months ago, you were devastated when the Kingston Town winner, Truly Great, was found dead in the paddock. You'd seen him only a short time before and he seemed perfect. This is the horse, Bob, you had earmarked as your Cox Plate horse last year. Yes, I think um, I even had ambitions of further than the Cox Plate, like, you know, maybe even Caulfield or Melbourne Cups because, because of his breeding. And um, he could have been one that we could have pushed on and gone a bit further with. But uh, unfortunately, um, we had a very good season and the, the grass was quite long and I suppose he was you know, nuzzling around in the grass and he found a dugite and um, mm. you know, it doesn't take long once a dugite uh, gets them, they, they go down very quickly. The dugite, you're talking about a snake native to Western Australia and a venomous little critter. We've got two here that are really bad, the tiger snake and the dugite, they're the really poisonous ones and uh, the ones you have to be very careful of, but there's obviously other very dangerous ones as well, but they're the two most prevalent. Mm. On a happier note, Bob, we're <coughs> going to take a stroll down memory lane to a little place in the WA wheat belt called <laughs> Dalwallanu, where you were born in September 1942, the only boy in a family of three. And you tell me you were born on the front veranda. Yeah, well, I was actually born on the front veranda of a house in Midland Junction and uh, mm. my father was um, away at uh, fighting the war up in the islands and uh, he'd been working on this farm up at Del Wallanew and um, my mother was able to shift back up there and we had a little cottage on the farm and um, and um, I was raised there till I was about three, I think it was, but, um, mm. you know, as a two-year-old and, and even younger than that, I think... When I was only about one, they'd put me on the back of the horses after they'd finished their um, ploughing or harvesting because there was no fuel for tractors with the war effort going on. And um, it was the horse and cart that we used to travel into to Dalwellanew to get the supplies every Friday, and I used to enjoy that as well. Mm. I still remember it. It's strange, isn't it, when you're so young and you've still got these memories of the horses and um, one in particular called Charlie that I had a great liking for. But um, <laughs> um we moved back to the the city when my father came back from the war and um, moved. Uh, uh, he was able to build a house uh, in Victoria Park, so we moved back to there. <clears throat> Those horses you're talking about were predominantly Clydesdales, weren't they, and draft horses? Yes, yeah. Your dad was very strict about his son's education. And at one time, he insisted you sit for an entrance exam to the very exclusive Hale Boys Private School in Perth. Now, so well did you do in that exam that you were awarded a scholarship. And it must have been a source of amazement to your dad when you dug in the toes. You didn't want to go. Well, my father finished up being a WO1, which is really a sergeant major, and... Uh, <laughs> we didn't have the best of relationships because uh, all the young fellows, as the soldiers walked past, they all had to salute and everything, and it was a bit hard for him because mm. you know, I was a two-year-old and we all know about the terrible twos when he came back from the war mm. and I was the man of the house as far as I was concerned and he was the intruder. <laughs> so we didn't start off very well and uh, <laughs> we didn't have the best of relationships until later on after he retired and yeah. We became good mates, but um, 
it was uh, one of his uh, things that I had to go and do these exams to get training so that I could perform well in my schoolwork. <clears throat> and um, he'd make me sit for these odd sort of uh, things that came up and Hale School just happened to be one of them and mm. they offered me a um, five-year scholarship, all expenses paid, books and all that sort of thing, but mm. that was the other side of the river as far as I was concerned and I, there was no mates or anyone over there. I'd have been a, a complete uh, in isolation as far as I was concerned to have to go over there. Mm. <clears throat> Your academic potential <clears throat> surfaced again later when you got a start at the University of Western Australia studying economics, psychology and maths and you also landed a nighttime job doing the rounds on a horse-drawn milk cart and it appears yes. you were much more interested in that than you were in uh, academia. Well, I was a bit more interested in the money I earned and what I could do with it, but um, <laughs> I, I spent a year at the UWA and... Uh, decided that that wasn't for me because if I did get a degree, then I'd uh, probably the only two people who could offer me a job might, or might be the government or a bank or maybe an insurance company. So mm. I decided to go um, um, doing a bit more sort of physical work and work for a, um, a chap that had a, uh, a drilling rig doing test boring up in the wheat belt and uh, mm. I was his assistant driving the second truck with the water tank on it and um, mm. when we didn't have any test bores to bore, we um, we formed a partnership where we were sinking um, the new uh, concrete liners that had just been in, um, started to be built and replacing the old wooden wells, which uh, was quite interesting because we were bits of amateurs and we were using gel ignite for the brock and... Uh, going down this hole and digging them out with by hand and bringing the buckets up with full of dirt. and um, mm. But that was a partnership and we earned pretty good money doing that. Mm. You just wanted to earn a quid, Bob, didn't you, at that stage of your life and you were certainly not put off by a bit of hard yakka. No, no, I'd worked all my life as, you know, after school jobs, everything you could think of and uh, I actually... Uh, Saved enough money to buy my first horse when I was about 10 or 11 in partnership with a couple of sisters that lived up the road. We paid nine pounds for a hack mm. and we shared him, shared in the riding, and he lived in my backyard and um, <laughs> we tied him to a tree in a vacant block next door during the day. So yeah. that was my first uh, ownership of a horse. I hope you gave him a drink of water. Oh, yeah. No, we looked after him, but um, <laughs> we had to share the riding. What was his name? Popeye. <laughs> a legendary figure. Yes. For whatever reason, you were attracted to the car game. You got a job as assistant to the sales manager of a VW distributorship. Um, you don't come across as a car salesman type, Bob, I've got to say, but you obviously belie your countenance. Well, no, not at all, and I, I wasn't chasing a job in the car business or anything like that. I've just decided that uh, it was probably time to come back from, you know, uh, driving up to the country every uh, uh, every week and uh, spending all the time up there. Um, I probably should look for a real job, and it's one of the first jobs I saw advertised, and uh, mm. I applied for it and got the job, and that, that entailed... Um, making sure all the Volkswagens were ready for um, delivery when the uh, salesman was ready to deliver them to his customer, make sure they had the sun visor on and the, mm. all the things they needed and take them to the traffic branch to get them licensed. And uh, there was a fellow, I was only about 19 at this time, and the young fellow uh, was selling used cars and making probably three or four times as much money as me, so... I asked them if they'd give me a job selling used cars, but they said they wouldn't because I was too young and mm. they thought I, you know, probably wasn't the salesman type either. So um, I let that go. But I was a couple of weeks later, I happened to be in a, um electrical goods store buying a second-hand refrigerator for my uh, flat that I had and um, mm. a young chap that um, – signed me up on the higher purchase agreement, signed the contract as a witness, and I'd been told that you couldn't do that till you were 21. So mm. I said to him, um, you, know, you can't sign that contract, I don't think, John. 
and um, I knew the, knew him from when, our younger days, and um, he told me he could. And uh, just then, the secretary of the company walked past, and he asked him, and he asked why I wanted to ask the question, and I told him, and they happened to own a Volkswagen dealership in Fremantle, so. Mm. You know, I said I wanted to sell cars, and he said, "Well, why don't you go and see our man?" And, which I did, and he gave me a job selling used cars. Goodness me! A man called David Golding had an enormous influence on your early working life. You were only twenty, and just married to Sandra when he offered you a job. You were in Sydney, I think. He flew over. <clears throat> yes, we'd gone over for our honeymoon, as you did in those days, to Sydney, and. Um, he took us to Checkers Nightclub. I'd never been to a nightclub, but uh, mm. while we were there during the night, he said, when you come back to Perth, I want you to go down to Fremantle and run my Fremantle operation, which uh, was a, a new cars. We had three new car franchises and then Toyota came along and uh, we had that. With, and um, I said, well, I'm only 20, Dave, and, you know, I, I was doing very well with them um, and, you know, was able to drive the best cars and do whatever I wanted to and mm. as far as the job in Perth was concerned. But um, he was the boss and he insisted, so I had to go down there and run that, which uh, hadn't been a very good um, investment for him in the past. He'd had three managers and uh, they'd all uh, lost him a lot of money, but uh, I was able to turn it around and... Uh, and um, get it going, and it did very well. Oh, you really got it humming. And uh, you were soon itchy to have a crack in your own right, but David didn't want you to go. In fact, he dangled a carrot, didn't he? Yes, he offered me half the business um, to stay and um, work with his son. He was a good mate of mine, Max, and uh, Mm. I I said, look, you know, you've got a son and that's his future, and um, I've, I've got to go out and make my own way. Where did you establish your own business eventually? Uh, I started off in Fremantle and um, and then that grew very quickly to all around the metropolitan area. We finished up with about, well, I think, eight used car yards and then we bought, mm. I bought my first um, GMH franchise and then we bought another GMH franchise. And in the end, I think we had about 12 franchises and... Uh, mm. And then later on, I bought the BMW distributorship for Western Australia and finished up with a Honda mm. franchise out of that and Ferrari and Alfa Romeo. And, oh, you know, it snowballed. So- it snowballed. In <laughs> fact, Bob, is it true that at one stage you had <clears throat> 700 staff all up? Yes. Well, that's not big these days, but in those days it was a fairly big operation and we were selling about 10,000 cars a year and... Um, it went quite well. Hmm. 1973 was an important year, the year you became master of the WA Hunt Club, which no longer exists. So back then, Bob Peters would drink the stirrup cup and go on the hunt with up to 300 riders. It was from another time, wasn't it? Oh, it was, but, you know, we only had the 300 riders at the opening hunt, but uh, mm. a normal hunt might have only been 20 or 30 of us, but uh, it was um, it was uh, very exciting and, you know, great, uh, oh, I suppose, um, you know, with the pressure of business, it was great to go out there twice a week and, um, mm. and let off some steam. Mm. <clears throat> 1973 was also the year when you joined the WA Turf Club. And also the year you acquired your first horses. Were they tried horses, Bob? Yes. Well, the strange thing about that, it was Dave Golding who um, spoke to me about that. I'd always thought that I would have uh, thoroughbreds and a few years before that I'd gone to a yearling sale and and agreed to buy a couple of fillies with a couple of mates, but they pulled out at the last minute and nothing happened and so I let Mm. it go and... uh, and then Dave was having a bit of success with the racehorses and um, we we fell out for a couple of years after I left, but then we became good friends afterwards. And uh, mm. he said, well, why don't you get yourself a racehorse? And anyway, he introduced me uh, to a trainer and uh, we finished up. I bought the first horse, was a tried horse from Melbourne. And I suppose fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, it won in, in the city and then I bought a 
a horse that from Rockhampton that won the Rockhampton Cup and um, and then mm. brought him back and he won as as well and uh, well, I suppose from then on it was uh, you were hooked onwards and upwards. Yeah. 1975, <laughs> you were elected to the committee of the WA Turf Club at age 33. Uh, yes, yeah, I just turned 33. I think it was October and my birthday was September. Yes, that's right. Yes. Mm. Not long after, you became a member of a finance subcommittee and you landed a spot on the TAB board. So, Bob, there's no doubt it was clear to all that you were cut out for administration. I think the Racecourse Development Fund was another one of your duties. Yes, so I had the Racecourse Development Fund, the TAB board and um, director of the radio station when the when the industry bought that, so I had a few different jobs. Mm. You spent a total of 18 years with the WATC, two years as vice-chairman and two years as chairman from 1990 to 1992. You saw great wisdom in the WATAB merging pools with the eastern states and you lobbied pretty strongly. Yes, I spent a lot of time on that with politicians, and um, luckily they uh, listened. It was a you know a new sort of change of government, and the and the females were sort of in charge at that time. And um, I took took them over the road and to the, some private stables I had by that time, and introduced them to uh, the young strappers and things. And they saw that you know the industry did employ um, a lot of people, and they accepted the fact that. Uh, they probably should help us, and um, I told them that I thought if they combined the pools, the government wouldn't lose any money and they'd be able to drop our tax rate, which was pretty high, and uh, mm. we'd had the casino come along at the same time and they were taking business away from us. So um, um, they agreed to do it, and I, fortunately uh, my prediction was right and um, they got more money than before, and we got a lot more money as well. So, mm. so everybody was happy. <clears throat> you mentioned that you were a director of Western Broadcasting Services, which purchased six PR to become the industry's own radio station. And Bob, it wasn't long before that was happening all over Australia. The TAB uh, owned its own station <clears throat> in all the capital cities. Yes, yes, we were the forerunners for that. I think. For 15 years, you represented your home state at the Principal Clubs Conference, which was held all over the place. You spent a lot of time away from home back then. Yes, I was just a bit of a zealot probably with anything I take on and um, I was probably a little bit lucky that my tenure finished with the Western Australian Turf Club and that's when I started to... Uh, probably you know, put the same effort that I'd sort of put into that, into my uh, racing and breeding, and, um, mm. and and that helped me, I think, in uh, – I still had my businesses to run, but it was the other side that I got uh, have more heavily involved in. Well, just pause to clear uh, a commitment on the podcast. Bob, we'll be back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. You know, at the time you started getting serious about competing on a larger scale, you had some pretty tough opposition. Laurie Connell, Robert Holmes, of course, 
John Roberts, Dallas Dempster was another. You certainly didn't have it all to yourself. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. I was just a, a junior amongst that crew at the time and uh, I watched them all and I watched the way they operated and um, they were all different, but they all had a love of the industry. By the time you started to expand your breeding interest, uh, you realised you needed acreage and you had several properties from time to time in and around Perth. Where were they, Bob? I saw a list of them not long ago. Uh, first one I got, I think, was about 1968 before I had uh, any thoroughbreds and that was up in uh, Serpentine. Mm. And... Um, from Serpentine, I moved up to Jinjin and had a property on the Moor River that uh, the Moor River ran through the middle of the property and um, that was about 8,000 acres. It was a pretty big farm, that one. Mm. Um, and then I bought a property up in um, Gidjiganup. Oh, I love the name. Say it again, Bob. <laughs> Gidjiganup. It's a little little town up in the hills on the way up to uh, 2J um, and in the 2J northern direction. Um, yeah. And at the same time, um, I, uh, Ken Gray, a bookmaker, uh, rang me and, and talked to me about a property he owned in Gosnells, which is, um, was on the edge of the city in those days. There was uh, orchards and little farms and things there. But um, mm. And so I had that as well, and I ran that in conjunction with Gigi Gannup for, for a while. I used to send the mares up to Gigi Gannup, and we ran a lot of sheep up there. Mm. Um, and uh, so I ran them in conjunction, and then after I, uh, the metropolitan area sort of took over Gosnells, and um, there was too much housing around us, and you know, dogs chasing our horses at night, and that sort of thing. So, and mm. uh, I finished up buying the property at Keysbrook, which is just down the road from Serpentine, where I started. So, previously owned by Robert Holmes Accord, he put it on the market, did he? No, no, it was just. Um, it was the property that we've got now was part of that. We we bought some land off them at the start, oh. and um, I ran that in conjunction with Gosnells at the same while I was developing that, and then sold Gosnells, and uh, we finished up consolidating into uh, mm. Keysbrook, and we've been fortunate enough to be able to buy I think one, two, three, about five properties that adjoin us, five or five or six I think. So we've. Mm. Been able to build it up as we went along, and um, and now we've got it. Uh, you know, I think you know it's probably as well as good as we can get it at the moment. Yeah, you call it Yalbra. Yes, well, that was the name of the property in Gosnell, so we just took took the name down there. Mm, Six hundred and fifty acres all up. Yeah, it's just around that. Yes, and horse heaven, I'm told. Oh, it's a good spot. I think it's one of the best spots to raise horses in. I've thought that for a long time. It's one of the best spots in Western Australia and uh, mm. we're right on the scarp. Um, we get good rainfall every year. We've got some land that runs sort of halfway up the scarp, so it's um, quite undulating. And then we've got some flatter land um, uh, on the other side of the highway. Mm. And, Bob, has that rainfall arrived on cue Ever since you've been there, yes. Yeah, so I know. No matter what happens, we get enough rain for what we do. Um, we're only growing pastures and mm. some cropping for hay, and um, we're running cattle and sheep as long uh, along with our horses. Mm. You don't keep them all. I think it's fair to say you're a seller when the circumstances dictate. Only last year, you sold two prize broodmares in Arcadia Queen and Celebrity Queen? Yes, it was a really hard thing to do, but I, I've got about, you know, I think it's four or five sisters to um, uh, Arcadia Queen and um, mm. I've got, uh, I've still got Celebrity Queen's damn um, breeding and uh, mm. sometime you have to, make these decisions back in, um, when would it have been? Back uh, a long time ago, I sold old money for quite a bit of money to the US as well. Yes. Yeah. I happened to be at Riverside, Inglis's Riverside Complex <laughs> last year, 
uh, just prior to the chairman's broodmare sale, and Celebrity Queen walked straight past me, Bob, and somebody said, oh, there's that um, WA mayor, Celebrity Queen. I was rather uh, intrigued by her size. She was only a little thing, wasn't she? Yes, she was, yes, but um, had a big stride. Mm, she looked like a little trotting mare when she walked past. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she could trot pretty quick. <laughs> yes, she certainly could. What is the highest number of brood mares you've ever had on the roster? <laughs> I'm not allowed to answer that one, John. I'm too frightened. <laughs> the walls have ears. <laughs> I'm too frightened. I've, um, I'm constantly trying to drop the numbers, but unfortunately they seem to go up each year. Mm. Strange because thing. We, well, we seem to always... For some reason, we breed always at least two fillies to one colt every year. Mm. And I don't know why that is because it doesn't make sense, but <laughs> it just happens. Sometimes it's worse than that. It's and I well, like to buy a couple of nice fillies, you know, every mm. year as well, but mm. I think I'll have to change that and, and, and buy a couple of colts instead <laughs> to try you, and even out the numbers. <laughs> I think you will, Bob. You'll have to do that. Now, it's well documented that you continue to breed from time-tested families that you've had for years. And one of the most important mares you've ever owned is Antique. You bought her as a yearling. She raced only 10 times before breaking down in the VRC Oaks, in fact, in which she ran third. And you gave her some wonderful opportunities at stud. And I noticed one stallion she visited over and over again was Reduce Choice. Yes, I was fortunate that uh, Reduce Choice was just coming along at the time and um, uh, uh, Foal Arcadia was, I think, one of one of the best fillies we'd had in, or probably had for a long time and could have been a lot better than what a history showed. But... Um, she was that good that it made me sort of want to go back again and I kept going back to Reduce Choice, which, uh, as it turned out, turned out to be uh, very lucky because um, he's become a great broodmare sire. Oh, hasn't he ever? Mm. Bob, I'm just running my eye down your list of major Perth winners and uh, I might just get you to listen to these figures, these stats, and uh, tell me if they're correct or not. Perth Cups... You won it recently with Midnight Blue, your 10th. I think, yeah, I think that one's correct. I know that one. Mm-hmm. Derbies, I've got 10. Well, I don't know, but that would be around that. We won a couple in the East as well. Mm. I've got 13 Oaks. I think that's right, yes. Mm. The Kingston Town, 7. That sounds about right. I think. The Railway 6. This is the race you've always regarded as the hardest race to win in Western Australia, the Railway Stakes. No, it definitely is. It's um, it's a 1,600-metre handicap and it's it's always run hard. And um, it was was one that I did find hard to win for a long time and I sort of had thought I'd better concentrate on that and try and see what I'm doing wrong. We went a lot of places in it, but um, mm. lately we've been able to um, to win a few and that's made a, it's got it, got it sort of up with the others nearly. Mm. Australian Cup, lovely race to win at Flemington. Uh, what was that, sorry? An Australian Cup. Yes, <laughs> we, we came up against Northerly in that and we were a bit lucky just to uh, get him on the line. Mm. An all-star mile. It's gathering momentum, Bob, isn't it? You won it with regal power. Yes, um, we ran it with. We got the Cornella with Superstorm, and I think you know if it had been, you know, fifty metres further, Superstorm might have been able to win. So it was a very good result for us that one. Mm-hmm. You won a Cantala Group One. You won an Emirates Group One, and it was good to see Arcadia Queen win a Group One over the Melbourne Carnival the time-honoured McKinnon stakes. Yes, she's, she was sort of a bit unlucky, you know, 
her time in Melbourne, things didn't go right all the way through. When you have as many brood mares on the books as you have, you have to be very discerning in your selection of stallion shares. Now, apart from Piero, who gave you Arcadia Queen, what other stallions do you have regular access to? Um, well, we've got just you know, one share in Dundeal. Um, I own, I think it's 20% of Extravagant. Um, mm. He's one that suits our, the way that we sort of want to breed. Um, um Dundeal's another one on the list. Yes, yeah, I like Dundeal. Yeah, he's, uh, I like his pedigree and I like the way he raced and uh, he, he suits us. Mm. We breed to him every year. Toes and Stardom's another one. Yes, well, he was a bit of a strange one, but um, I just thought that his um, being a deep impact horse and he raced in Australia and proved himself here, so we'll see how he goes. Mm. Every now and again, you wander outside the circle, don't you, as far as commercial stallions go. Over the years, you've used Ifraj, uh, you've used Testarossa and Al Maher with pleasing results. Yes, I've been a bit lucky and um, I'm a bit lazy. Once I uh, sort of hit on a pedigree, I tend to send, tend to send the mare back a few times to so I don't have to think about it, and uh, sometimes we strike it lucky and sometimes we don't. Bob, you really looked after Arcadia Queen. I mean, you looked after all of them, but you had this mare in cotton wool. She had only 16 lifetime starts, eight wins, Kingston Town, Caulfield Stakes, McKinnon. She had no luck at all in a WS Cox plate. She had three runs in Sydney. She won a Group 2 at Rose Hill, and she was unplaced in the Everest and the Golden Eagle, but she was right on the heels of the place getters in both. Well, she was knocked down in the uh, Golden Eagle. Um, uh, sunlight, I think it was, went to the front. Uh, they sort of put the brakes on and um, the field stacked up a bit and Glenn Boss was inside us and he, he had nowhere to go, so he sort of came out and he, he hit... Uh, Arcadia Queen and she stumbled and went down. Um, I thought she was going to fall over, but she got back up and mm. came home well to run fifth. And a similar thing happened to us in the uh, Cox Plate, same thing. Mm. She got sort of sandwiched in the uh, up at the, near the start and uh, stumbled again and got up and ran fifth. So mm. she, she wasn't lucky over that campaign over there. Delicacy was a wonderful filly. 12 wins from 19 starts, including a Perth Cup. And this is a good sto story, Bob. You got to race her only because a deal fell over. Oh, yes. <laughs> she trialled and that wasn't showing us much. And um, we put a batch together to sell. I think it was six horses in the batch. And I put her in as a, a sort of untried um um, she was still a two-year-old then, just before um, she turned three, mm. and um, the the horses were ready to go, and she was in ready to go, and the deal fell over, and I put her back into work, and she won her first start. I think it was right at the end of July as a two-year-old, and um, then went on and won just you know the good fillies races here. She won the Oaks and the Derby here in Western Australia, and then we sent her to South Australia, and she won. The Oaks and the Derby over there and uh, mm. finished up three-year-old filly of the year beating Winks, which really surprised me. And uh, it just goes to show you can be lucky sometimes. You loved a mare called Miss Margaret from early days, a Masquet mare out of Fancy Miss. She won a Group 1 at Flemington and she won a South Australian Oaks. You speak with great affection of Miss Margaret. Well, there's not many... Um, Two-year-olds are going to have their first start in a stakes race. He had a first start in the stakes race at Flemington and won, mm. and that was a thousand metres. And then she went up to um, the the Oaks distance in South Australia, and the uh, the Emirates equivalent of had a different name at that year in uh, at Flemington as well. So two groups, what group ones and a thousand metre 
two-year-old stakes race at her first start. So mm. she was a very good mare to us and and um, Celebrity Queen comes from that family and we're still breeding from it. Mm. You've always said Old Spice was one of the best horses you've had anything to do with. He sired one of your early favourites too, didn't he, Old Comrade? Yes, I still think he was the best horse I ever had. Um, we just didn't know what, how to handle him because he was just so unusual. He was, mm. he was just wasn't really a thoroughbred in the way he needed work, and uh, mm. we worked him hard. I was um, I had a private trainer at the time, and uh, I was interfering in the training. He used to pick me up every or three mornings a week. Uh, on the way down to the beach and we take him down there and gallop him on the beach and wade him through the water and yeah. thought we were giving him a work but we still probably weren't giving him enough and um, he uh, he was just amazing. You know, he, he had a turn of foot at the end of a race that was as good as I've ever seen but uh, yeah. he just needed more work and um, we got him up for the – he won the Mel Vista, which is this race lead up to the – the derby here and then he got uh, unfortunately same story I think I've repeated a couple of times he got uh, hit um, in in the race and hit the fence and, and mm. stumbled and got up and ran fifth in the derby and uh, I was, after that I sent him over to Bart Cummings in uh, Sydney and he um, mm. he won um, two in a row there and he was going for the Epsom when he sort of got into uh, a lot of trouble with his feet and that sort of came down to the same thing again. I think not enough work and um, after that we were in a bit of trouble with him but uh, mm. he was a great sire for us. We, uh, I syndicated him, I kept half of him and um, we we bred with him and I bred a lot of horses with him and um, one year he was only getting about 30 mares and one year he was second to uh, Dane Hill on the stakes winners for Australia. So Goodness it me. was amazing for a horse that only got that many mares. Mm. But um, Second to what, Bob? Second to Danehill. Goodness me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that I've heard you make that statement before, that you feel, you believe, Old Spice was probably the best horse you've ever had. Well, if, if I'd known what I know now, he mm. could have been. Yeah. And... I learned a lot from him with old comrade and um, he could still be the best horse we ever had if he'd have been able to uh, keep going. Unfortunately, he uh, hurt his tendon and in Sydney when he was um, – um, I had him up there for to get have a run in the Doncaster and uh, he uh, tore his tendon and we never saw the best out of him, but uh, he, he had a, the same turn of foot as uh, – Old Spice, he could run you, you know, 33 every 600, didn't matter what what distance you put him over. Um, and the horse that can do that, it does, you know, they'll win a lot of races. Mm. You've enjoyed phenomenal success in recent years with the training team of Grant and Alana Williams. Only very recently, uh, changes were made uh, to that partnership. Uh, Grant and Alana are keen to expand their business in the public arena, including a satellite stable in Melbourne. Will they continue to train the odd horse for Bob Peters? Oh, yes, they've got a few for us still, and um, that should continue, I would think. But um, yeah, well, I went to Grant and Alana when they didn't – I think they had one or two thoroughbreds that Alana was playing around with and Grant was a trotting trainer, a mm. trainer arrangement and, um, and we sort of um, worked together and, um, and it was around that time that I sort of made the decision that I'd become my racing manager and, um, and run the horses the way I wanted to run them and uh, mm. luckily for me they didn't have the experience so they put up with me and, um, and we seem to have been able to uh, mm. make a success of it. Mm. So, Bob, you must be studying race programs all the time, are you? Oh, no, it's not that hard when you're only in, in one uh, – racing on one track and uh, mm. you, you can sort of plan their programs fairly well. Mm. But as far as being uh, hands-on with the actual training of the horses, 
I mean, you're not out there at the track early in the morning suggesting a horse should be galloped this way or that way. Uh, no, no, I don't. As far as I'm concerned, it's the trainer's job to get the horse fit and have it ready for the race we want it to run in. Um, yeah. We'll have discussions about horses if, you know, they didn't run to the um, to where we would have liked them to and, you know, I'll put my uh, uh, two bobs worth in and um, suggest mm. that we, you know, maybe a bit more work for that one or a bit less for that one and, and mm. it seems to have worked fairly well. Adam Durant has been one of your successful trainers in WA in recent years. I think he won a race for you on Saturday at Ascot. Yes, he won two yesterday. Trained them both, yeah. Mm. I notice the former Fremantle AFL player, Hayden Ballantyne, is also on your short list of trainers. He was always going to be a trainer after football, I believe. Yes, well, he worked a lot with his father, um, you know, riding gallopers and things. I heard, you know, through his uh, football career, they they stopped him from um, riding work because he might get injured. But uh, he, he's been around the horses all his life. So, um, and he's a young one starting off, much like um, Grant and Alana were when we first went there. Mm. You had horses years ago with a remarkable man. And a remarkable horseman in George Hanlon. Yes, um, uh, George is the best, you know, as far as I'm concerned. We uh, we became, you know, great mates and, um, you know, all those stories about George not uh, talking much or having much to say. <laughs> mm. He used to bring me, I think, every Sunday and the phone went for about an hour, an hour and a half, we discussed Mm. all sorts of subjects and he was a very clever man, you know, didn't matter what you're talking about, football, football teams or mm. um, uh, health, uh, fitness, um, he knew it all. <laughs> it appears you intend to have a permanent presence in Melbourne with Danny O'Brien as your trainer of choice. In fact, I think you sent a truckload to him only a week or so back. Yes, well, with the with the change um, with the Grant and Alana, that sort of um, freed that up. I felt I was obliged to uh, to let them take the horses to Melbourne when the time came. But um, uh, they sort of wanted to change the business plan. They talked to me back in September, and so we kept things going the same as they were until um, the end of December. That's what our discussion was then, and um, and that sort of free that up, that situation up where I can now have a, well, I've virtually got four trainers now. I've got or six trainers, I think. I've got uh, Danny in Melbourne. I've got Hayden, um, uh, Adam and Williams here. And um, then I've got two free trainers that um, do all the young horses. Mm. Bob, how do you handle the inevitable bad luck that comes in races? Are you a good loser? Oh, I think so. I'm used to it. <laughs> and now your association, both professional and personal, with the jockey who certainly holds his own at the top level anywhere in Australia. You call him William. He calls you Mr Peters. <laughs> I've told him to stop that, but he can't. But Bobby's from another era, isn't he? I mean, you just oh, well. don't see that anymore. No, no, he was well trained by Jack Cockle and uh, it was Jack that sort of uh, made me aware way back when he was uh, apprenticed to Jack uh, mm. and we started um, putting William on horses way back, you know, when he was only about 15 or 16 and, mm. in fact, I think he rode a Perth Cup uh, winner for us when he was about 16 as an apprentice. Mm. Well, Bob, you're going to be without his services for a while now because he's coming to Sydney. The new vaccination protocols coming into effect on the 5th of February in WA preclude him from riding at home for the foreseeable future. But he didn't let the grass grow under his feet, did he? He quickly announced his intention to move east. And I can tell you, Sydney jockeys will be far more stressed about Willie's arrival than Perth jockeys will be about his departure. <laughs> I would think so. The Perth jockeys might uh, throw a party. 
<coughs> you were obviously privy uh, to this news some time ago. Were you surprised about it? No, no, not at all. I, I can um, respect his decision to um, to continue his career where, wherever he can and um, and I hope that uh, he can do that for quite a while. But, you, you know, you never know. Things could change and... Um, Anything could happen in the last in the next twelve months, couldn't it? Absolutely. It's been reported uh, that you'll be sharing the rides in Perth among a handful of jockeys, rather than appointing a number one stable rider. Is that the story? Uh, yes, we've always had uh, other riders that ride for us when we've got more than one horse in a race, and uh, when Willie's uh, suspended or on holidays, and uh, they've filled in well for us. Um, and uh, I would envisage that uh, we'll continue to uh, use their services wherever we can. Mm. And we're talking about uh, Pat Carberry, who's widely experienced, and a couple of others. Yes, we'll use mainly Pat Carberry, uh, Clint Johnston-Porter and um, uh, Chris Parnham. You can't help but wonder how William will adapt to life in a city like Sydney. He's a country-born lad and still lives on a farm outside of Perth with his wife and young family. It'll be a culture shock. It will be, but it, remember, he did have 12 months up in Hong Kong or a season up in Hong Kong. I'm not sure the exact time, but mm. and uh, he seems to be able to find a way to amuse himself um, on his own. He's not the person that would need any sort of uh, high life or night life or anything like that. And I would imagine his family may go over there too for, for stints at a time or even move over there. I, I don't know. Picking his strongest point uh, is a tough job. Perhaps it's his ability to keep a cool head. He, he comes across as totally unflappable. Oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't get uh, uptight about anything. And I think, I think his hands and heels riding is his biggest attribute. Um, mm. He doesn't need the whip much, and um, he uh, he seems to have a knack of making less mistakes. Um, that's that's the key to a jockey. They all make mistakes, but mm. he just makes less. Mm. Your wife of sixty years, Bob Sandra. Loves a day at the races and she loves a little dabble on the punt, but she leaves the day-to-day -day running of the operation to you, although there was one occasion when she persuaded you to run a three-year-old, God forbid, in the Perth Cup when the race was still a two-miler. <laughs> yes, well, she did have influence at that. Well, she was, um, did influence me, but the other reason I did that was that the horse had run second on the Saturday before in the derby and I thought that he was a good thing beaten. He, he should have, I thought he should have won the derby. Mm -hmm. And then the horse that won the derby came up favourite for the Perth Cup. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, well, if that horse is favourite and I'm, and I'm any sort of a judge, mm -hmm. we, you know, could nearly win a Perth Cup. We'd, we'd never, never won one before. Mm. We've never had a runner in one before. Mm. And, you know, everybody wants to win their home cup. So I just oh, I agonised over it, you know, for quite a while because I just didn't want to run a three-year-old over 3,200 metres at that time of the year. We're talking, uh, mm. you know, 1st of January. Mm. Anyway, we ran him and I think he won by five or six, might be seven lengths. Yeah. <laughs> what a judge, Sandra. What a judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Bob, what horse are we talking about here? A horse called Field Officer who just happened to be by Old Spice. Mm, by Old Spice, Field Officer, the first of your 10 Perth Cup winners. Yeah, and then he went on to sire a Melbourne Cup winner in Rogan Josh later on. Goodness me, that's right for Bart Cummings and mm. the late John Marshall. Well, you and Sandra have two girls, Robin and Melissa, who could both ride a horse at a pretty high level, you tell me? No, well, Robin went on a lot higher than Melissa. Melissa just rode, but she had allergies and uh, that slowed her down a bit from that point of view. But uh, 
Robin got up to sort of royal show level, but uh, and then her two daughters uh, ride very well. They're up to sort of national level. One of them was um, supreme champion at Sydney Royal one year and mm. competes at national level um, still to this day. I think she's won um, supreme uh, champion at the Royal Show here twelve times or something like that. So mm. they're they're very good riders, a lot better than I ever was. I just uh, no one ever gave me a lesson. I just you had to hang on because if I didn't hang on, I'd hit the ground. Hit the deck. <laughs> now, there are three grandchildren on the scene and one great-grandson who already has a pony. Yes, he's two and he's got his pony, yep. <clears throat> one word that you'll never find in Bob Peters' vocabulary is retirement. Your horse interests are vast and showing no sign of diminishing. You're involved with cattle and sheep, as you mentioned earlier, and you absolutely floored me the other day when you said you're still selling an odd car. Oh, well, I'm out of the retail business and I still own 30% of the BMW business in Western Australia with Mm. um, two dealerships there and... um, um, we've got three divisions in our business. We've got our um, properties that um, are rented out with industrial and some retail and a couple of medical centres and things like that. And um, yeah. And then on the other the other part, the other division is uh, public companies that we invest in. We invest in emerging technology companies, mainly in the medical area and um, and uh, blue chips as well. So there's three divisions that. Um, you know, they the make a lot of variety. There's different decisions to be made every day and mm. in different directions. And I believe that if you're doing different things, you don't think about retirement. Mm. I believe if you're doing the same thing day in and day out and mm. you've been doing it, you know, for 50 years or something, then you you, mm. you have to retire. But with um, different things happening every day, I think it keeps your mind active and um, – and makes it for me anyway, there's no way in the world I could ever retire. No, you'll be 80 in September, I hear. Well, they tell me um, 80's the new 60, so we'll see how we go. And you keep pretty fit too, Bob. You carry no excess weight, and I don't think you go out to break the track record, but you do like a long walk. Oh, no, I I do my treadmill every day, and it's um, 10... 10 degrees and we go along pretty quick, fairly fast walk. So we, mm. I do a fair bit of exercise every day. I'd have probably uh, between morning and um, evening about an hour a day. So it's enough. <laughs> so That'll it, do. It's, it's, it's passive. It's not really hard, but it's <laughs> yeah. enough. Because you're not interested in racing <clears throat> two-year-olds, your aspirations centre on races like the WS Cox Plate. I think that's the race you'd love to win. Well, I think it's the best race in Australia. It's, um, you know, a good distance. It's uh, weight for age. They're all equal. And um, I don't, it's definitely not an easy race to win. And um, it's only good horses that ever win it. Fifth spot on the global owners' rankings is a long way from the Dal Wallanoo wheat farm when you were sitting on the Clydesdales back. Must seem like yesterday. Well, it does, and I can still remember it well. But we're, we're back to fourth spot now, so that's uh, we seem to be, you know, wavering between those two at the moment. Which, when when it was Tony Arold who rang me back in, I think it was about 2017, and told me about that uh, yeah. global rankings, and um, we were there then. I thought, well, it'd be nice to get into the top ten. It took us a couple of years, a few years to do that, and. I thought, well, that was about our position. If we could stay in the top ten, then I'd be happy. But uh, it's quite, you know, quite surprising to be up where we are now. So you were quite shocked by that news from Tony Arold? Yes. Well, I'd never heard of this um, ranking. It's uh, a three-year rolling average. They drop a week off every week and um, and then put this latest week on. So you can be up and down a bit. And, you know, if you have a good run, um, um, we might drop because we had a good run, you know, three years ago, but mm. we're having a probably a better run now, so we're going up. 
It's certainly the icing on the cake after a magnificent career, Bob. It's been lovely to mosey down memory lane with you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound, and I do appreciate your time. It's a pleasure, John, and uh, it's nice to hear your voice again. Thank you, Bob. Great to talk. The catalogue for the 2022 English Classic Yearling Sale is now available. A total of 810 yearlings have been finalised for the sale, 600 in Book 1, 150 in the Highway Session, all to be offered at Riverside between February 6 and 8. 700 of the entries are Bob's eligible and there are Vobus, Westspeed and QTIS yearlings also on offer. There's an enormous range of proven stallions represented, as well as first crop yearlings by exciting newcomers like Justify, The Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artist. The classic sale has seen unprecedented growth in recent years, with 10 individual Group 1 winners since 2018. Eight of those have been purchased for $100,000 or less, while 14 graduates have won a million dollars or more in the same period. The classic sale gets the English show on the road for 2022 on February 6, 7 and 8 at Riverside. And the catalogue is out now.